What up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Blacktop Podcast. This is episode 42. This is the Kevin Love Podcast right here. Ruben, bro, how you doing? I'm good, man. I've been uh, been enjoying the uh, the playoffs. There's a I lot mean, of good basketball last... being played right now, yeah. I know, it's a good time. Uh, I'm not going to lie, work has been busy and crazy. Mm-hmm. Life just feels hectic, eh, nowadays? I don't 100%. know about you. How do you... I think we both need this long weekend coming up. Now. Like, it's been crazy. Yeah. Well, well, me, I, I even just came back from like Edmonton for like a dance thing the the other week. Oh yeah, how was that? It was good. It, I think it was just really nice to just get away from like the busyness of like Vancouver overall. Because I'm yeah, Edmonton. You know, Edmonton. They call it Edmonton, bro. <laughs> yeah, yo. Like met some dope people, but man, it's dead as hell there. Yo, I saw some of the clips and some of the some of the performances look nasty, yo. Makes yeah. me want to come back to dance, man. Bro, Edmonton, <laughs> Edmonton, you know, for <laughs> Oh man, I don't know how to word for the fact that a lot of Edmonton slash Calgary people come here to start dancing. <laughs> yeah. They they, they got yeah. a really good culture there. That and it's like they're so nice. And it's like Yeah, man. You know, not to get into the, the whole Vancouver thing, but, you know, Reuven and I know how that goes. And it's just really crazy how they're, like, genuinely that nice. But anyways. Take it for granted out here. That's 100%. We got a lot of great basketball to talk about. Let's get into, like, sure the do. one kind of disappointing thing. And that's obviously the whole John Morant situation. If you've been living under a rock, John Morant, maybe a couple months ago at most, got caught with a gun on an IG Live. Got a little quick eight-game suspension, which five of those games already counted, so he really only served three. Had the shortest stint in rebound yeah. in history, and then boom. <laughs> what was it? Maybe a week ago now. History. Yo, I literally saw it during my trip, and now showcased the gun again on the IG live. This time though, it wasn't him purposely. Well, not purposely, but you saw how like it was it's his homie. Dumb. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. His homie tried to hide it, and you know. Now we're looking at, in my opinion, I feel like 50 game is like the minimum. But I also feel like because it's a repeat offense, it might even be the whole year. But it's just, yeah. it's just overall a slap in the face of the league. And, you know, one of the people I want to touch on their opinions was J.J. Reddick's at the whole like double standard thing. And which I understand where J.J. is coming from, given that, you know, he didn't necessarily break the law. But, you know. I think you got to remember that being in the NBA is a privilege, you know, not a God-given right. You're held to a higher standard given your influence, and that's especially considering, you know, when you're a face of the league type of player with jaw. Because I mean, if we think about it, he's what he's one of the new Nike guys that's really being pushed right now. You know, Powerade, whatever it may be, he's like the heartbeat of a city. It's, it's just Jaws. Like if this was a role player, not to minimize it, but. It obviously wouldn't get this kind of attention, but because it's a guy like Jaw Morant, who's Sorry, box player. office, yeah, it's really getting a lot of attention. And you know, I understand the need for the punishment, but I just overall hope Jaw's able to kind of, you know, get back to get back to the grind, be able to come out better for this, better basketball player, a better man, and you know, overall just a better person. Because because I think you have to be really low of a person to be rooting against Jaw. That's not to say that he doesn't deserve the punishment, but it's just the whole story, what he's meant to that city, what he's been able to, because it's been a pretty quick turnaround given that, you know, they got that second pick 
and now they've been like perennial Western Conference playoff team. So, you know, hate to see it, but there's going to be a big, big suspension coming up, I feel. What do you think, Rube? Yeah, I mean, I think the discourse around it, and I'm going to go a little bit outside of basketball a little bit, and I understand where JJ's coming from because I think there's, I think what he was ultimately trying to say is as a black man in America, regardless of the gun laws, he's going to be held to a different standard because he's hmm. a black man in America. Yep. And so I think that definitely people are going to look at John and go, well, here you go. Here's another delinquent black man doing some crazy gangster shit. Like when we all know for a fact that it's like, dude, most of these school shooters, you know, like it's, it's, you know, we're, we're getting quite political and yeah. like the race thing. And I think that's the discourse behind what JJ is ultimately trying to say without saying it directly. So, I mean, I'm not going to touch on that too deeply, but we all, we all understand like what we're trying to, trying to say here is, you know, John Morant is a young black kid and people are going to go, well, you know, here we go again. Like, oh, history tells us, you know, and it's like, dude, number one, you're telling on yourself, you're racist yeah. little, little rat, like, <laughs> and the, there's the other part where it's like, yeah, like, John made a mistake, and he's definitely going to get suspended, and he should get suspended, there should definitely be a consequence, because not, it might not be a law, necessarily, where he is to, to have a gun, like, he's brandishing a gun, however way you feel about it, you know, whatever side you're on, whether you're gun laws, gun control or not. The NBA has specific rules, the morality clause that literally states, like, dude, you cannot have a gun. You cannot brandish, embellish a gun, whatever. You just can't. And that's the rule. And if you don't follow rules, you break them, you get Delta Consequence. And this is the second time. And so, you know, I think he's going to get a pretty heavy suspension. To be honest, the eight-game suspension I thought was too short of a suspension. I think, especially considering gun. that, like they they knocked off five of it off rip of, because of him being away from that, the team. Yeah, that made yeah. no sense to me because for me, the team made their own decision, right? To make him step away, ultimately mm -hmm. step away from team activities and things like that, and it just felt like the league was trying to diminish what ultimately had happened simply for the fact that John Morant's a million-dollar maker and he is also a million-dollar driver for the league, right, mm -hmm. in terms of a player. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets suspended for a year. I also wouldn't get surprised if he just gets slapped on a 20-game suspension with, like, 50% cut in pay Ooh. or something like that. Yeah. Like, I would not get surprised. Like, whatever way this goes, I'm, I'm not surprised because I would obviously, for me... I think they should come down with a really hard suspension at least 50% of the year, in my honest opinion, DJ, because when you say you're not going to make that mistake again, and then you make that mistake again, I just think, like, you're not really going to learn if you get slapped on some tiny stuff. And um, uh, I want to say this also. It's like at some point, uh, Kenny Smith said this, like, on TNT, and I thought it was the perfect way I would have put it, is. Sometimes it's not your friends. At some point, it's literally you. 
and like yeah you can blame the friends for being around there like homeboy homeboy had had his phone out trying to record and they were on ig live or whatever it was and as soon as he saw jock come up with the gun he was like oh like he tried to move his phone like let's be real like Mads did not expect Jot to start throwing <laughs> the block around. Like, come on, man. So, yeah, two sides of the two sides of the coin. I think there's a lot of racist people telling on themselves when they see a black man with a gun, and I think uh, they should really just, you know, whatever, shut up. And the other side of it is, yeah, Josh deserves to get a consequence because he made a mistake and he broke the rules. So. 100% clean and cut just like that. But since we've last spoken, Reuven, there's been a, it's been a few series that ended. Let's uh, talk yeah. about it. So rather than getting right into the conference finals, we're going to do that eventually, like a bit here. But let's talk about what does ne- not necessarily like a whole, like, I want them to do this, 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 and this. But yeah. just a general overview of what the offseason is looking like for the guys that just lost. So let's start here. Actually, no, Ru, who who you want to start with? I'll let you pick. Um, like in terms of the team that teams that just got knocked out in the previous round. Yeah. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. You know what? Let's go. I definitely want to talk about Golden State. All right, let's start there. Yeah. I think I think for me off the top of my head it goes, this is a team that I think can definitely still win with the core that they have. Um and I will have to agree that a lot of stuff that happened to them as a team this year really hampered, like, you know, everyone knows Golden State is like this dynasty, great culture, great team chemistry, all of this stuff. Guys can be held accountable. And it felt like for most of the year, they didn't have that. I think they simply made the playoffs because of the fact that they had Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and they've really, they have a really talented set of players. I think the Draymond situation with Jordan Poole really screwed up a lot of their chemistry. I think yeah. Andrew Wiggins being away for most of the season with his personal issues. Um, I think not having uh, a veteran leadership or veteran court presence, honestly, with guys like Otto Porter, um, who was a key part of that championship run last year. Um, and while Dante DiVincenzo filled in really well, um, this year, he's not the same kind of player. Um, and then you can say the same thing about Gary Payton, who came in later on in the year and wasn't even healthy to start the year, or like he wasn't even healthy for the majority of the season, right? Like he he was not, and he wasn't playing in the, in in uh, the similar role that he was last year. So there are a lot of a lot of people are saying, well, this team is the same as last year. It is, but if you look at the if you look behind the curtain, a lot of it was so different. Hundred percent. Um, I think for me, if I'm looking at changes for this team, I it will be I will take I'll, I'll make a hot take, and I think Jordan Poole won't be on this team next year. I will be surprised if he is, um, and that will essentially depend on the fact if Bob Myers comes back or not. And that's a huge piece of this culture. Because yeah, if Bob Myers walks away this offseason. I think a lot of the things I'm seeing is like there's not, there hasn't been a lot of substantial yeah. like head, head, yeah, head talks. Yeah. Yeah. So the inkling is basically that Mans is going to walk away, which means whoever steps into that role is going to have a significant, you know, voice in terms of the direction of the franchise. And so if, if Bob Myers leaves, 
then I can say not only Jordan Poole, but I'd be more inclined to say watch the status of a guy like Draymond Green. Mm, especially with the new CBA coming into play. I th- that's a big thing I've yeah. been seeing. Like, I heard Joe Lake, of the, the owner, isn't really trying to pay that whole whatever the near threshold is or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think there's I just want to start there. I think it's mostly Golden State's direction where how it happens with Bob Myers. Bob Myers stays, I think we're keeping this core and I think they're gonna make some changes. I think Jonathan Kamiga is probably on the chopping block as well. Because he's a young piece. I think if Golden State is looking to upgrade, I think they'd be willing to give up some of their younger assets. I mean, I think they'd be kind of dumb in the sense because the current core they have is running out of time. And you want to hang on to a guy like Jonathan Kaminga as much as you can because he looks like a guy that could be a top 20 talent in this league, right? Just simply from his athleticism and, and what we saw over the past year and a half when he's had opportunity. But well, I, well, there was also rumors saying that if he wasn't going to get a substantial role next year, that he would be looking to play elsewhere. So, I mean, that's a pretty significant thing. Um, so I, we'll see. I think Golden State's going to have a lot of changes this year, depending on, you know, who's going to be leading the franchise in the front office. And even if Bob Myers does come back, I see. I think we'll see a significant change in terms of their core, whether that's Jordan Poole or Jonathan Kingminga, you know, they've got to make an upgrade somewhere to continue winning. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. I think the main thing is that Jordan Poole, I think his extension kicks in too, so you have that money to throw yeah. around. I think that's a big thing. And we're going to see a lot of, not necessarily I think a lot of superstar movement, but you know, there are two teams I think really, really are not really on the hot seat, but I would be... I wouldn't be surprised if a big, big member of their core gets moved. That obviously yeah. being a team like, uh, you know, the Toronto Raptors. Or uh, one thing I'm seeing is uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. So we'll see. But, yeah, nothing to really add there. I, I think the main thing is just finding a formula to have the young guys play. You know, Moses Moody showed this year throughout this, like, short playoff run that he's more than capable of holding down a solid role. I think the yep. energy he brings, the fact that he's able to stretch the floor – you know, the athleticism he puts on that court, 100% he's going to have, like, you know, obviously not like a kind of DiVincenzo-level minute load, but, you know, there is, I don't think there's a reason he shouldn't be getting, like, you know, 12, 15 a game kind of thing. I think the same thing with Kaminga. Yeah. Like we said, I think the talent is there. The potential is there. I think it's just a matter of letting him get his reps in. And, you know, that's a really, really important thing for the young guys. I think you're especially seeing now to where, it's really hard to break through when you're not getting consistent play time and that's how you get guys you know leaving their teams and whatnot but yeah i think it's just that let's move on to this next team uh let's talk about hey man are the suns cooked because i think they are let's talk about that i mean they just fired monty williams which I I think was kind of a scapegoat. I understand it. Yeah, Yeah, like I understand it. But yeah, it's the fact that that team was totally cheeks to begin with. But I mean, when we look at it. They were barely a playoff team all season long. No doubt. And even even Chuck said it beautifully to where, you know, if Booker and Katie got to combine for 80 plus for them to just win, I'm cool living off of that. And we're seeing now to, you know, you hear all the Chris Paul rumors I don't necessarily think that they're going to move on from him. 
I think you look at what happens when you move on with DA and go from there. Because I think they can still get nothing like a Rudy Gobert kind of compensation. But I definitely think there's a world where they get, you know, two two solid rotational players and maybe a young, like, low floor, high upside kind of guy. I think that's kind of what you're looking at with the DeAndre Aiden trade. And that's really, I think, what you need with this team. You have your two yeah. bus seat drivers, and now it's just about putting guys around them. You know, Tory Craig, as cool as he is, I don't know if I necessarily like him being one of my starters. So, you know, DeAndre Aiden being on the new team, I think, is the first thing we're going to look at. You know, in my opinion, you look to someone like maybe, uh, I was thinking Charlotte, because I think that'd be yeah. a cool spot, just based on the fact that he'd have an opportunity and they can maybe get back like a Mark Williams for the, for the Suns. But, you know, I, I think that's the one that I'm really curious to where he's going. Because I think DeAndre Aiden, you know, there's no reason why he shouldn't be a 22 and 12 kind of guy. But I think a lot of it when it comes to Phoenix just came down to the fact that Monty wasn't messing with them. And just the way their offense was. It's It makes no surprise to me he was only really to manage like 8-8 like eight and eight across all the games just given his lack of opportunity. But... You know, the core is still there. You know, again, they have their two guys, and I think it's just about building out from there. I think you keep Chris Paul, and you got you got to do some, like, crazy level of, like, maybe, like, load managing, like how they did with Kawhi with the Toronto years, even more to that, to that extent. But, yeah, I think the Suns have gone from a team that's like, oh, these guys are going to be, you know, perennial contenders to now... They got a lot. They're going to have a lot of noise coming into this offseason, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, they've got they've got nine expiring deals. Mm. So they've got six guys on contract next year. Ish Wainwright is on a non-guaranteed deal. So, yeah, man. They've, mm. they've um, and obviously not a whole lot of cap, cap space. Yeah, Jock Landale, I think, played himself into some decent money this year, too. So I think, yeah, he's definitely going to be retained. I think a guy like Joshua Kogi is probably going to be retained. Definitely. Um, and, and, and so we're looking at eight guys for this roster. Again, I think you, you, you stood up best. Not much to add on. DeAndre Ayton is pretty much their best avenue to improve this roster. Um, I'd probably go in, in a sense of look at DeAndre Ayton to land in a spot where there's a team with a little – with. Um, kind of an influx of assets, so it could be a number of draft picks, it could be younger players, it could be a mix of a veteran and a young player and a first-round pick, um, because I think with the deal to get KD giving up the amount of draft picks and the young assets they gave up, McCall and Cam Johnson... I personally think that this team would have been much better suited to run its course with those players and its draft picks... Build around Cam, build around Mikel, build around Devin Booker. That's three guys you can build around with draft capital and continue to build around that core. If, for whatever reason, that, that core of Booker and Aiton and Chris Paul ran its course, which, you know, we said from the beginning of this year that this team was 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 was, was ass. Like, that's how we literally described it. So, you know, Matt Ishbia comes in, bought the team, made the trade for KD and seems to have taken quite a bit of control. Yeah. Cleaning and seems house. to be holding well he seems to be holding the puppet strings on James Jones, right? So I mean, DeAndre Ayton is their only real avenue to improve this roster. And so I even think that if we go into this offseason it 
this trade for Phoenix, they're going to get less value than what the perceived value is for DeAndre Ayton, simply because they know that they need capital. I mean, is DeAndre or Ayton worth a first-round pick? Absolutely. I think he absolutely is. I think that's no question. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the surrounding talent that they're going to get, you're not going to get an all-star back for DeAndre Ayton. You're going to get a level of role players and young, unproven guys um, to fill out the roster, which is quite frankly what they need. Um, and they need players who can sit around Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. And I think Aiton also just has no, no longer a natural fit there, especially when with Chris Paul, who um, obviously his opportunity as a point guard on that team, less ball control um, because he's playing with two guys who love to take the hardest shots in the league. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think building the roster around them, I think Chris Paul is probably gone too. I think he's going to get dealt to a team that okay. requires a ball-dominant guard. I personally think so. Um, I've I've seen rumors that it's a Fred Van Vliet-Chris Paul swap potentially, and that's interesting because Ooh. Chris Paul is under contract. He's an older player. Yeah, he might be able to mentor what they have going on in Toronto from a development side. Um, I personally am of the, the idea that I do not want to take on three years of 90 million of two years, of 60 million of Chris Paul, 44 million guaranteed. So, um, interesting stuff with Phoenix, uh, again, very limited in how they can move this off season, but I think we'll see that movement happen, but they will definitely get less than the perceived value for these players. Mm, no doubt. I Ruben. Are we going to talk about the city of brotherly love or are we going to head to uh, the Empire State building? Let's leave, Philly, let's leave Philly for last because I think Philly is a really interesting one. 100%. For me, New York, I think New York is capped at what they can do with Julius Randle. I think that's the biggest piece. Mm, I think it's either they my improve thoughts their exactly. roster. I think they improve their roster and I think they need another top level talent. And I think, um, I don't want to say Randle gets traded. In fact, if I think that there's anyone that's going to get traded first, it's likely to be R.J. Barrett. Unfortunately, um, people might be like, "Well, you're stupid if you trade like your young top, your top young asset." Um, but you know, he played really well during the playoffs. Like R.J. Barrett really showed out. I'm yeah. really uh, as we're we're both proud Canadians because he, our Canadians showed up in man, the playoffs. He beat the allegations. Yeah. He was awesome. Like, except for obviously that last game, he 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 was doo doo, and Stephen A. Smith, you know, dumped all over him. But you know, he played incredibly well all playoffs, and I think that upped his trade value potentially for a team that's looking for a young wing. Um, so I would look into them trading that. I think Randall is definitely on the chopping block as well. Um, so those are two names that I think we're gonna see pass around, but. In terms of next steps, they it's around building, you know, building around Jalen Brunson. I think no. you know Jalen Brunson is the core key piece of this team, and you build around what you have with him because you know even though he wasn't an All Star this year, he's definitely that team's All Star. And I even go as far as to say that he's a superstar guy in this league with the way he played this this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean but, that's undoubtedly like the most valuable contract right now. Oh, no yeah. doubt. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like, the fact that he was able to take this team as far as he did, he basically took last year's team, um, which was pretty garbage, to the second round. Like, that's that's quite an impressive feat. 
and you know i think we all we all talked about it last year too before he moved on to new york was was like jalen brunson's impact on a basketball team and you see now that you 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 take him out of the cage man you take him out of the cage you unshackle the dude and it's like dude he's a different kind of player 100% man to think that like he would have stayed back in Dallas is just crazy to think obviously i don't think he reaches yeah. this kind of level but you know he he's shown all the flashes and that's what you get with those Villanova guys. Those guys, they know how to play yep. basketball. They know how to play it very well. But yeah, I agree. Julius Randle, got to go. You know, go. I mean, yeah. I, I think the writing was on the wall. So he's like, he's just not a leader. There's he no. there's no room for him to really be the number one. And I also think that his demeanor and his his like mannerisms doesn't seem like he's a guy that would take well to being like the clear number two. So, I mean, that's just me pulling that out my ass. And for all I know, he could be completely on board with that. But I, yeah. I just think once once he gave the whole, like, maybe they want it more than us, it's like, man. You know what that sounds like? When DeMar DeRozan, when he got knocked out in 2018 before he got traded mm-hmm. to San Antonio, said, you know, like, I think it was something along the lines of uh, LeBron James is not on our team or something like that. Or, you know, I wish we had LeBron on our team after he lost the series to them. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right about the whole Randall leadership thing. Mm-hmm. He needs to be in a culture that, um, holds him accountable. And it's really hard to get that when it's coming from the fans, especially in a city in a market like New York. Oh yeah. I, I, I got to cut him a little slack there. Cause man, those fans are gutless. Man, they was ripping his freaking picture off of the sideboard when they lost game, what was that, sorry, game six. I was dying, bro. I was like, they were, like, stepping on it. They ripped it off. Like, they literally went, like, Knicks fans are crazy, man. They went into that freaking arena, vandalized it to remove Randall's picture. I mean, insane. Absolutely dude. insane. I don't know. Crazy. I would not want to play for New York if I was an NBA like NBA player. Oh, I get the market. That's what I'm thinking too. And then when the away teams come, that's when they got their nights. Yeah, that's they enjoy playing in New York, but nobody wants to be a Nick. Yeah. Like I, I I've talked with personal friends of mine, people who've been in the business, people in the industry that I've met, you know, from covering the NBA for a couple of years, and it's like they're always telling me the same thing. They're like, I would love to play if I was an NBA player, I'd love to play in New York, but I would not want to play for the Knicks. Like, dude. My goodness. <laughs> Nobody come on, man. Nobody wants to play for the Knicks, man. I mean, Jalen Brunson wants to play for the Knicks because his dad's an assistant. And he needed to go shine. Yeah. Jalen Brunson's like one of the toughest dudes. So. And the big bag. Even though it doesn't yeah. look like as big of a bag as he definitely deserves. Yeah. But I right, let let's head into this big one here. Philly man, can you still believe that Tobias Harris is the highest paid player this year? Bro, that, that is insane. Not only that, Tobias Harris over me, bro. Not only that, he was the fucking best player for them in Game Seven, man. I know, bro. I know. Oh my goodness, I was about to take off, and I think it was halftime right before my plane was departing. Looked like a close game. And, you know, you yeah. saw the fact that P.J. Tucker had such a crazy start as he did. It's like, oh, it's going to be a long night for the Celtics. And then, boom, 
nine points, five rebounds, nine assists from James Harden or whatever it was. And then boom, 15 points from the MVP or whatever it was. It's, you know, there's a lot of things that need to happen with the Sixers. And I, I thought this team was good enough to really get it done, honestly. And, you know, yeah, it is what it is. It folded out and folded, you know. James, yeah, I think, is gone. Yeah, I think James is gone. He's going to go back to where his jersey was retired in the strip club of Houston. You know, I, th- I think there's a lot of moves to be done. I think, do you, okay, let's get, let's, let's, let's get right to it. Do you think they blow it up? Cause I'm under the impression that I think if James is gone and there isn't like a big move to be made to where it well, brings them back James into is gone, it. They don't have a big, they don't have a big Yeah, move. exactly. So the big move is training Joel. But I don't think Joel's gonna get traded. I I, I wouldn't. It's hard for me to sit here and think about it now, but it really hinges on if James stays or not. Because if James stays, then boom, you can build your team around them in a a micro way. I think Doc Rivers coached this team really well, so I think we should start a bit there. Is Doc Rivers coached this team well this year? But I think they were also very bottlenecked by what they could do with him, lack of adjustments, and, um, you know, he's blown many series leads in the past. Granted, not a 3-1 lead, but they had opportunities to win this series twice. Mm. So I think a different head coach that is going to put this team in better position to be successful, I think the two-man game that Harden and Joel had this year was really good. I just don't think it was an optimal style of play. When they were very duo centric, is that what we were calling it the last podcast? Yeah, a very duo centric offense. When I think with the team that they had, they very much could have played a much more open motion style of offense. When you have guys like Tobias Harris, PJ Tucker, DeAnthony Melton, and Tyrese Maxey are all snipers from the perimeter. You know, there's a style of play there that you can have to be much more optimal, especially around a guy like James who can get downhill and still create a lot of shots for other players. Same thing with Joel. Um, you know, it's it's weird. I think this is a team that, you know, I won't say the triangle, but I, like, I definitely want to say this team definitely would have benefited from playing together um, with some sort of motion-style offense. Um, you know, but... So I think a head coach is going to make a huge difference, whoever they bring in. Um, James, I think, here's what I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say what I, what I know they'll do, but I definitely think they should blow it up if James leaves yeah. because it's very hard to build this team around. I mean, you have, the, you have literally the MVP of the league, I understand. And so it'd be unprecedented if they did. So the likelihood that they do blow it up is probably really low. But it's really hard to build a team when the second best player like James Harden leaves and your next best player is quite tech it's technically Tobias Harris. You don't think Maxi? I wanna say Maxi, but he's still a young player, and I think they ultimately build around him. Mm. Right? And I think that he's the piece moving forward for them. Um that or if they just focused in on Joel and Tyrese. I think anytime you have Joel and beat on your team, I think this will still be a playoff team regardless. And I think they're still good enough to make a playoff run without James Harden as is. But 
it's very difficult to win a championship without top heavy talent, especially with the parody we've seen. So, oh yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I definitely think they should blow it up, but I don't know, man. Like the whole James Harden situation is so weird because like I've seen him wanting to go back to the Rockets. Like that's I've seen that so often, like over the past few months. So, man, I really hope he doesn't. Can you imagine if he does? Bro, Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. are never going to do anything more than they ever have. I know. Crazy. Man, man. Uh, like, one thing I will say, if they do bring it back, I think you got to look at James Harden being, like, more of a pure, pure point guard. Like, you've seen him really transition into being, like, much more than the scorer and just the kicking out. You've really seen him develop his playmaking over these past couple years. But I think you need to run something to where Maxi's more the second option. Letting him get a few couple PNRs with Joel more than like just getting in where he fits in kind of thing. Like you gotta look at being able to let let Maxi loose essentially. Which they already do to an extent, but I think you really gotta empower him to be like, listen, it's Joel, you, and then James. Get in how you get in, get yours, you know, will this team to a win if you have to. You're you're the guy. You're one of the guys of this team that really has the opportunity to lead us to greatness. And I think James Harden, I think, has the capability of, of uh, being able to adapt to that. We've seen him being able to adapt more and more. And I think when if you bring this team back, you really got to look at, again, just letting it, letting it be Joel get his however he has. But then you got Maxi, you know, multiple level scorer, competes defensively, one of the quickest players in this league right now. I think you really got to look at being able to just fully just give him the keys, essentially, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think I was really annoyed with the fact that his role was really um, fluid this year when he should have always been in the starting lineup. I think he should have always been um, a huge part of the development or a huge focus for the team because Tyrese Maxey showed a lot of promise the year before. And so obviously coming into this season, the excitement was we're going to get a really, uh, we're going to get improved Tyrese Maxey. We're going to see some great things from him in this year. So the idea was to continue to develop him alongside trying to win. And that's a hard balance to take, but I think it should have been clear from the start that the guy was starting. He should have been a guy playing 30-plus minutes. Um, I understand DeAnthony Melton is a better fit in terms of like shooting the ball, less ball-dominant, allows the ball to be in guys like James and Joel's hands and to be a, a, a spacer. But again, you have to optimize and like really focus on your talent. I mean, that's what the NBA is all about. And the best teams have always just been able to utilize their top talent. And so, and I think that was part of the issue with the Golden State Warriors, right? Like, I just don't think they had enough of a focus on developing their young players throughout the season and making sure that they get the run and, and, and making sure they get opportunity. And I think it ultimately bit them in the butt this year. Right, um, I think no it would have been much better. I think Jonathan Kaminga could have been a huge presence in the Lakers series, but he barely got any run. So you know, 
that's what I'm saying. It's the same thing for Philadelphia. I think a guy like Tyrus Maxey needs to have much more um, opportunity this year. Like you said, give him the keys, James Harden, play a pure point. But I will counter that and say this team was not, and the playoffs at least, they did not find any success when James was not aggressive. So yeah, it's really hard. It's it's really hard. Like you said, it's really hard to be a heliocentric offense. Same thing with the duocentric. If they can get that nice balance of three players carrying the load of their offense with the key guys that they have around. I mean, this team is like an eight eight player deep team, right? That's perfect rotation, and they had enough. They had enough to make the finals this year. Like if they beat if they managed to beat Boston, I absolutely would have taken them over Miami this year. Oh man, that they would have definitely taken game one at least. Not fighting. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, again, like Philly, Boston, that series was a toss up. Like, but they had their opportunities to win that series, and it's like, dude, clearly this team just could never get over the hump. I think there's a coaching aspect of it that's not there. So, anyways, um, yeah. If there's a simple fix, it's Tyrese Maxey being a focus. Has to be. Has mm. to be. No doubt. Yeah, like they're, we've gone from literally like, you know, there's a few teams that you're going to really keep your eye on to now, like, we look at the top end of the East, it's like majority of them, except maybe the Celtics, yeah. depending on what happens with JB. But speaking of JB, yeah. let's get into the conference finals talks. I mean, you know, we can't really throw out serious predictions because, you know, they've already started, but we can give a little recap slash thoughts on the series. So let's start with, uh, let's start with the East. I just, I just want to hit you with this, Ruben. There's face mask LeBron, hoodie mellow, untucked Kyrie. You'll like this one. Post child Fred Van Vliet, flu game Jordan, and something to prove Jimmy Butler. Man, Jimmy Butler is so much fun to watch. Like I said, I, I'm so happy that I can enjoy him cooking rather than watching him cook my team. But, I mean, Jimmy's just on another t- planet right now. That that dagger, crazy shot, first of all. But I think another thing is just the fact that you really haven't seen Jimmy have to go, like, God mode since the Bucks series, which I think is a big plus because, I mean, to touch on Huge another plus. guy, I think it's great to see Bam getting aggressive. You saw, you know, first few possessions, let him have the ball, let him do his thing. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's really translated into solid, solid output. Cause I mean, his stat line was what, 29 and five or something for game one. And when you look at Bam, that's like, that's good stuff. And not only that, you're seeing him start to get a little bit of his middies going. And I think seeing him take advantage of like potentially hobbled Robert Williams, now Horford, that's getting up there with age, but you know, shout out to Al Horford. He really held his, his own against Embiid. But I just think yep. the physicality and the the spryness that Bam Adebayo brings, I think that should be free free cheese anytime he's like on either of those guys. I'm I'm, I'm yeah. definitely expecting a big big series from Bam, and I think you saw with Game One here. I mean, Joe Mazzulla called no timeouts in this when the Heat scored forty six yeah, points insane. in the third. It's it's I've seen the memes, man. It's like you know Joe Mazzulla bringing back four timeouts to his wife and kids. It's it's crazy, and then. I, I think the the X's and O's is gonna play the biggest. I think it's gonna play the biggest possible like factor that it can with the Celtics run, because I mean when you look at who they played so far, who they play round one again, it was uh the Hawks, and that was uh Quinn Snyder, who's 
you know, good defensive coach, very good coach overall, but it's still like a lot of that I'm assuming is on the fly. A lot of it is not very like as calculated as he would be. And then you go to this next series with the Sixers, you know, Doc's cool, but you know, he's not too, too much of that tactician that Eric Spolstra is. And Eric Spolstra is, again, like we said, it's Pop, Eric Spolstra, then everybody else for the most part. Yep. You, know, you could throw a couple other guys in there, but those two right there. And you've seen how Eric Spolstra is just, you know, he's proud, proud to see that shit, man. And I'm expecting a really, really tough series from the Heat. Yeah. I, it's a different series because, like, you know, if you compare Boston or sorry, if you compare Miami and Philadelphia, two completely different styles of play. No doubt. And and I think you you hit the nail on the head with Bam is it's just a different kind of matchup for a guy like Al Horford and Robert Williams. It's a different kind of matchup because Bam Adebayo is a facilitator, right? And so mm. very much in the same, very same model of Jokic, where he's a guy who can take it off the board and facilitate your offense. And that opens up a lot, a lot of opportunities for your players. So that's why we've seen guys, when he's been more aggressive, we've seen the, the Max Struces of the world, the Duncan Robinsons, obviously Kyle Lowry, who has turned the clock back oh, to 2016. Game one. Yeah. Dude, he's playing awesome. Like, you literally can't sit here and say that Kyle Lowry has not been the ex-Hector for this Miami Heat team, um, especially in the last series. Um He's been special, and he's. He, I'm glad that he's finally getting the flowers he's deserved, because you know there wasn't a lot of this talk when he was doing this for Toronto, and even in last year, um, last year's run, where they said, well, he's a champion, but he wasn't getting the same flowers that he's getting right now, and the way, same way that they talked about Chris Paul for the longest time, mm-hmm. and so, um, I really think that Miami poses a lot of matchup issues for a lot of teams. And I think the reason why they struggled in the regular season compared to obviously the playoffs is I think, you know, health was a big thing. I think this team just simply coasted and Jimmy Butler did not play all. He had a great regular season, but he, he becomes a different animal in the playoffs. hundred percent. And I think, you know, he's clearly, conserved his energy for this time of the year. Same thing with a guy like Kyle Lowry, who was out for most of the year. And again, let's remind people that like Tyler Hero is not in the lineup. Yeah, during this is about their leading shot maker or shot creator. Yeah. So I think the way they play Spo is awesome. Like we talked about this last series. I think Spo is going to outcoach Joe Masula in this one. And I think if Boston were to win the series, it would just be simply from the fact that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are playing out out of their minds. Um, I don't think from watching that that first game, there wasn't a lot of team basketball, and it frustrated me because Boston has a lot of really good pieces, and I think that's what they were so good at last year and why they made their finals run is that they were really good at playing together as a team, um, you know, maximizing opportunity. But right now what they're doing a lot with Jalen and Jason Tim, Jalen Brown only shot 18% from the field in that first game, right? Let me double check like he that. Shot something, he shot something crazier, 18% from three or something like that. I, I, can't, I think he had a pretty bad percentage. 
Like he was. Oh yeah, seventeen percent, one for six. He, yeah, like, um, that's a problem. That's a problem. Like, and that that's a lot of that also has to do with opportunity. And I don't think the ball is getting shit around very often. Um, so Miami, I think, poses so many matchup issues. They're man, they're just getting the most out of that team. Sometimes also it's just this team is just clicking and peaking at the right time. No doubt. And it reminds me of so much of the bubble year and the fact that well, I mean it's the same conference finals. So. They they just caught the they just caught the wave and riding that motherfucker I think all so. the way. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's exactly that. I don't think there's anything special to break down other than the fact that Miami's playing really well together. Their chemistry is on point. I think they're clearly confident. Like I think they literally went into the season going, I don't give a damn where we end up. I think we're just gonna just we're gonna maul everybody else when it comes time to actually play everyone. Mm-hmm. And when we have to. Like when the time comes, we are going to be the best team. So I, I don't know, man. And <sighs> Jimmy Butler's incredible. I think Bam uh, took a lot of flack this year, you know. Um, even though he he did have a really good season, people were like, "Well, Bam's barely an All Star player." Um, but he all this year in the playoffs, man, he's he's looking like the perfect second option to Jimmy. Mm. Yeah, I I think so. to that point to add to that, I I feel like Bam gets a lot of flack because I think a lot of people see the potential that he has. A lot of people see the frame. To see the skill set and think he could be one of if not the best players in this league and for a lot of the past few years it's been very stagnant in his play which isn't necessarily a bad thing because i mean in his offensive yeah. play though mm. the stagnant bam is what that's 20 20 and 9 and like three assists on average whatever it may be hell yeah that's what i'm saying so I, I think you're really gonna see bam really start to empty the tank in this in this in the series for yeah. sure but you know the 29 and 3 also doesn't necessarily represent how much he impacts the game on the defense oh line. my goodness I, i'm not gonna lie Giannis is great as you know defending one through five but i think pound for pound i i think pound bam is the yeah. best one through five defender true. Mm. he's a true one to five yeah like, i could i could trust him guarding kyrie irving for a full game yeah i don't know if i could do that with a guy like Giannis. as mm. great as i think he is I don't know if there's anybody, at least at Bam's position, at his frame and his size, that I could say off the top of my head and go, okay, Bam, go guard the team's opposing point guard the whole game. That's the matchup, right? And he can do that, and that's just crazy. I mean, Ben Simmons maybe. I mean, for a while he was that, but like he didn't do that. Obviously, didn't maintain that to the level that Bam is doing. And 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 I I know I know um, his assist numbers for a facilitator are are the lower end. But it's like, while he doesn't get the flashy numbers that Jokic gets, again, Miami's offense is very team oriented. So there's you definitely a lot of see that movement. for sure. And 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 Bam is really good at getting the team into action. And that starts with him being aggressive and finding his spots. Um, he's really good at picking out the the matchups on the floor. Like there were a couple of possessions in the game in game one where I noticed that he would take certain sides of the floor to attack um, the potential weak side defender. And and those are just small like things you would just watch and you go, okay, I noticed that he's trying to attack Malcolm Brogdon on the switch off of this dribble handoff. 
and he's going to take that side. He's going to take the weak side, or he's going to take the strong side of the ball because Jimmy's there. And so when Jimmy comes around in this dribble handoff, the weak side isn't as strong, or it's not Robert Williams coming over. Um, they can't come around as fast. It's like those small things, man. It's like Batman is a really smart player too. And you pair that with Kyle Lowry, and you, you pair that with the high IQ guys they have, and obviously Coach Spo. Like, we got to stop betting against Miami, man. <laughs> hey, man. Uh, oh, fuck. I don't want to say I got Miami because I think Boston is definitely going to hit him with some I good shots. The, yeah, I think it's a seven game series. The Bucks, the Bucks fan in me wants to take Miami, man. I want to know yeah. that our boys got beat by the best team in the East. Yeah. 100%. I think Miami will make it out of the series. I think it'll be a seven-game series, though. Mm, this, 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 and I think another thing too. You haven't seen because I think a big narrative heading into it. Last thing I think I'll touch on is that I think a lot of people thought, "Oh man, the Jays are gonna cook, cook Jimmy, like completely shut him down or anything," and that hasn't happened. They're getting and, cooked. Oh yeah. And as much as like Jimmy went thirty-five, five and seven with six steals, man. I'm calling it. Feels it. Empty. Jimmy's gonna have a fifty piece sometime during this series. He's gonna have. I don't think there's any. There's no one that can guard him in this series. I don't. Hundred percent. He's coasting. He's coasting. If he emptied the gas tank, this might have a sixty piece. Some crazy thing like that. That'd be crazy if he got a sixty piece. Hmm. Oh man. I mean, if there's anybody that can do it right now in the playoffs, I'm taking. I'm picking Jimmy. It's Jimmy. It's Jimmy. Yeah. All right, Ruben, my brother. How about you start us off with this uh, the series in the, the West? Two zero. So we just finished game two. We just finished game two, yeah. right? And the Lakers played really well to start this game. Yeah, I, that's the one. Th- sorry, I'm not to like completely jump shit. Yeah, go, go, they, go, they, go ahead. Game two. I mean, game one. That was like, oh, this is going to be a long night for the Lakers. But game two. Way off to a way better start for sure, yeah. but yeah, continue. They made the right adjustments, they made the mm-hmm. right adjustments that they made in the second half of game one. They applied that in the in, in game two with the matchup schemes. Um, obviously, made the, the starting lineup change. Um, but Denver is just a better team. This team Denver is humming. Is just this team, team is humming. Yeah, I think. The Denver is just a much better team, top to bottom, play style, chemistry, being on a string defensively. They're they they are just that much better of a team. Of a team, like we talk about definition of team, like they are the best team in the league. They are the best team in the league. They are the best team in the league right now. Obviously, not record wise, because obviously that was uh, Milwaukee, but. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that. Hey, that's, that's okay, man. The loss of the first right. round, you can throw all the jabs you want. <laughs> Bro, Denver is playing at a level that is just like what we said about Miami. They're just peaking at the right time, and they had been really good all all year long, except for like the last month where they kind of dropped off a little bit. But there's something so crazy. Where you look at this team, and almost any given night, it's either Jokic and or Murray, mm. and or AG, or Bruce Brown, or Michael Porter Jr. It's like there's always going to be someone that's going to contribute at a high level. And when all five of them or six of the main guys are contributing at a high level, 
it's so hard to stop. Like, just watching them play basketball and the way Jamal Murray stepped up in that fourth quarter, he oh, had been playing man. awful the first three quarters. Well, I think it was, what, two. like 10 points on 12 shots or something like that? He was all, he was, yeah. he was garbage. No, like, like, straight up, let's be honest. Like, he was so bad in the first three quarters. And then he went on to put, what, what 23-point fourth quarter? He's cooking, I like, know that. Christ, man. Dude, that dude is built for the playoffs, right? Like, mm. he was pretty special. The way he was hitting shots, too, with under duress. And that's the beauty about, about Denver is they're really good at getting easy baskets, yeah. creating easy opportunities for each other, getting wide-open shots. But in the playoffs, you got to have guys to hit those tough ones. you got to have shot creators. And Jamal Murray and Jokic, game one, it was all Jokic. Game two, it's been Murray. Who's the next one? Michael Porter Jr. is a great shot maker, especially yeah. Yeah. the difficult challenge, like the difficult shots. So I think that's what separates them is not only do they have every level that you need to be successful, both on both ends of the floor, but every level, like three levels, easy scoring, like it's it's there's no hole like if i looked at this team dj like the, the my one piece analysis always is like for some reason like there's no holes on this team like i don't think there's a weakness other than maybe Jokic's interior defense but he's been yeah that's so the far. big one but everybody it's i'll say this everybody's competing defensively not saying everybody's yeah. locking up their man but there's just there's not a lot of lapses on the defensive side of the ball as much as you'd expect from a team that wasn't the best defensive, like defensively during like throughout the year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with personnel, like KCP and Aaron Gordon on your perimeter, mm -hmm. defending LeBron James and those guys on the perimeter. I think that makes a big difference. Um, I think Jokic is, is such a high IQ player that a lot of his defensive awareness makes up for his lack of defensive ability. If that makes sense. Yeah, because sometimes that. if you can get to the spot or if you can just understand how you can defend a certain possession or a certain action better than maybe a guy physically can, like we understand always like, oh, you're able to body him in the post. You can get steals like you can strap, like, you know, you can strip him in the open court. Like those are the physical things, the physical nature of the game. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes Jokic is just beating these guys to the spot defensively. And, you know, a lot of actions and we're seeing it. We're seeing him meet, for example, AD at the top of the key and defending him in a way that he doesn't foul and making making sure that yeah he's he's, he's not uh, ducking no smoke. No, he's not, and and so that's that's been the really impressive thing is sometimes your IQ can make up for your lack of ability, and that's literally Jokic. The mm. dude is the dude's like four hundred pounds. The, the dude is game breaking, Ruben, bro. I know. Do you man. do you remember his stat line from just the first quarter? game one yeah it was it was something like was it 10 he had or he had like double digit rebounds already he had yeah. five assists right and it was yeah he, he had eight 12 and five there you go bro that shit's even hard to do in 2k in a yeah. quarter man <laughs> and and to speak to that eight 12 and five i think rebounding is a really really big thing that's going to be like a theme throughout this series because i mean we look at game one Jokic alone almost beat the Lakers 21 to 30 on the rebounding. And, and then when you look at yeah. the overall thing, a big thing I think I noticed from game one was the fact that, like you said, 
just knowing where to be in spots. And you know, I think you saw that Denver able to take advantage of that by the fact that, yeah, I think, and it wasn't even like Jokic got it over the course of like the whole entire quarter. I, I swear he had like seven or eight rebounds within like the first few minutes of that game. And he then, did. You know, it, yeah, it's, it's just crazy to see. And then when you look at game two, as much as the Lakers got off to a way better start, not too many teams, if any team, can win if AD's going four for fifteen. You know, and I think that this Lakers Man, team is so, about, so talented. We, AD should really so have his balls on. Yeah, and the whole team. You know, yeah. I, I think AD's just really being forced into like he's going back into that. I don't know if I really want to bang with everybody. You know, hit my little post fade make you know two for seven kind of thing and it's it sucks to see man i want to see ad be ad and and i think he has all the capabilities to do doing that throughout this entire series but i think we just look at the bodies that they have especially in their starting lineup you got aaron gordon and Jokic who are more than capable yeah a lot of size i think that's a big thing ad is gonna have to like figure out that this series but you know as we say series doesn't start until the home team loses See what happens yeah. on they play what Saturday, so that's on Saturday. Yeah. I I wanted to make a point about the rebounding thing because you said it perfectly mm-hmm. with Jokic is is number one the Lakers look so small compared to the Nuggets. I they know so I I I thought the Nuggets were so gonna small. look pretty small, but you're right. Yeah, dude, yeah. they look tiny. They look tiny. The other piece of it, I think, if I'm the Lakers, I think they there needs to be an emphasis on offensive rebounding because too often, at least I saw in the in game one. But Den- what Denver so so what makes Denver really good? I mentioned this about Bam, but Jokic is obviously the pinnacle of it. Is um, when your center can take the board off, can can rebound right off the board and take it up front without having to outlet. Um, that speeds up your offense. While the the guy who's physically handling the ball is slower, four guys are pushing out. There's no outlet and there's no trailer, so that requires the defense to push back much further. And so if Jokic could get downhill, which he has often done, and guys are cutting off him. I mean, there's been plenty of actions where guys are cutting right beside Jokic with the ball. And because there's no trailer, there aren't guys who are overhelping. There are guys who have to stick with their defender. And that side that side cut is basically a backdoor. And there were many times where literally the defense is having to overplay because there's no trailer. Jokic is the trailer. So the defense has to be back. You can't you can't cheat and play off of someone because some guy is still down on the other end of the floor recovering. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's what makes it so good with Jokic is he can take it off the board and he can jumpstart your offense without the outlet pass. There's no trailer. There's no guy right behind. So the defense cannot cheat. So if I'm the Lakers, I want an offensive rebound because of the fact that that is part of that's a huge portion of their offense is Jokic literally that there's a reason why he averaged as many rebounds as he did all season long. It's simply because of the fact that the team knows that Jokic is gonna be the main rebounder on the interior. So if he if 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 Jokic gets it, and if I'm the point guard, I don't need to worry about an outlet pass. I can just jump down the floor and get in transition. So if I'm the Lakers, I wanna I want an offensive rebound. I wanna make sure that they don't get those possessions. Um, at least because if I'm able to offense rebound or I feel I'm attacking the glass, he, the team will have to box out 
which means guys will have to stay back. They'll have to create outlet passes because usually when guys go in for offense or rebounds, there's defense in the backcourt. So those are just those tiny, tiny adjustments I think they should make. But obviously that's really difficult with the size that Denver has because everybody on that team can rebound. And I mean, Jamal Murray is their point guard. is a 6'5 point guard. So, you know, I think that's a small thing that they should really look at offensive rebound. I think a guy like Jared Vanderbilt, I think they should play a bigger lineup. And I think this is clearly not the series for D'Lo. Um, he has struggled. Struggles is an I, understatement, I, man. Oh understatement. I, I think there's. I think there might be a benefit to playing LeBron at guard as your PG. I wouldn't say making this the starting lineup change, but I think that uh, a significant amount of your playing time should be, you know, Vanderbilt, AD, Rui, um, LeBron, potentially Lonnie Walker. Maybe you reintroduce Malik Beasley back into the lineup. I think this is just something that's worth looking into for more size. And that's a lineup that's good enough with enough shooting. Obviously, Austin Reeves play the two guard of the point. Um, but there's just an, there's more than enough there's enough shooting there to keep the defense honest, but they can match up the size. Um because, you know, obviously they want to set the tone and they want to come out with the first punch. But it's really hard to do when Denver is dictating the style of play from the defensive end. Right? And then so when they're getting off the board like their offense is their defense. So uh, it's yeah, it's it's really fun to watch this series because I love seeing how, like the high IQ players like LeBron and and Jamal and obviously Jokic and AD and then top level coaching from Mike Malone, Darvin Ham has been a great quote all year. Like there's a, there's a really like high IQ basketball going on in this series, and I love watching it like the breakdown. But yeah, I think, man, Denver, man, I think it's. it's Denver's looking, special team. Denver's looking like it's theirs. Not even just yeah. the conference finals, but man. The last thing I'll mention is uh what was it? Oh. Yeah. I mean obviously I'm going for Denver in this series, you know. It's, it's just to say that uh my girlfriend's mom, huge LeBron fan. You know, I, I had to <laughs> My had whole to, family LeBron fan. Man, I had to eat a lot of the trash talking and now we're looking at boom. Denver's up 2-0. You know, we'll see what happens on Saturday, but yeah, I agree, man. This is, this has been such a fun series to watch. I mean, I love that there hasn't. If you're Denver fan, it's been fun to watch. Oh yeah, I mean, even just overall, I mean, Lakers fans—they don't enjoy. Yes, I yes yes. Lakers don't enjoy any pure basketball. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, you you better clip that and put that on TikTok. Hundred percent, Lake. I'm not gonna lie, Ruben. Also, real shit. Lakers. Also, real shit. Who do you think is more annoying and more delusional? Knicks fans or Lakers fans? Oh my god. Cuz you know, on the wow, one end tough. of the spectrum, I think New York is just so this irrationally confident to the point where, you know, we saw what happened when they won one game against the Hawks and like it acted like that whole entire like city won the chip. Gypsy, yeah. Yeah. And then there's the Lakers. The Lakers are like, the Lakers are just accustomed to it. <laughs> We're gonna get a Kyrie Irving. We're gonna get Damian Lillard. We're gonna get we're gonna get Joel Embiid in the offseason. Oh my goodness! Dang. 
yeah, we're going to get all the best players because we're the best market. And it's like, if you really think about it, they haven't attracted any free agents over the last decade. Yeah, when was the last time, like, a big, big name outside of LeBron? Mm, Dwight Howard. But we saw, like, as soon as he came there... uh, Steve Nash was Steve Nash was a 38 year old with a debilitated back problem when he came to the Lakers. Yeah, LeBron was the only one because, and he simply went to LA because it was, he moved there. He lived yeah, there, and yeah. Hollywood and his kids. Like the dude went back to Cleveland after he was in Miami. Like who does that, bro? Like Cleveland, this is for you. Like, this. <laughs> bro, how do you go from Miami to Cleveland? The kid from Akron. Yeah, but still, ain't nobody want to go to Cleveland, dog. I've never been there. I know it's trash. Like, so. Man, that that whole Midwest play area outside of Chicago. Chicago's, a, yeah. you know, Wisconsin. I'm a Bucks fan, but I'm cool. I'm going to Wisconsin if it's not from <laughs> Oh, man. You sure you don't want to go to Milwaukee, dog? I'd go for a game, but I'm not going out of my way to go there just to fucking be in Milwaukee. Go to Chicago. Yeah, dude. That's hilarious. Yeah, Chicago is on my bucket list. I want to go there. Oh, you got to go. Chicago's a fun city. Yeah. Besides the point. Yeah, I got got family there, so I've been like a couple times. Oh, dude. Let me know when you go out, man. I want to come through. I know a few people out there, but damn, man. I want to go to Chicago. Go watch a Bulls game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to watch... Zach Levine and Demar put up forty apiece and have them lose. Man, but anyways, well, who moving. who knows who knows if they'll be on the roster next oh, year? True. I heard they want to build around Zach, but before that, Reuben, you gotta you gotta answer the question: Who's more out of their fucking minds, Knicks fans or Lakers fans? Yo, okay, I think right now, based on personal experience. Because all my buddies are Lakers fans, oh. and one of my, my buddies, one of my buddies is a Knicks fan, and he's more he's more tame. So I'll have to say the Lakers fan, because literally every year I hear, "Yo, man, we're gonna get Kyrie. Yo, man, we're gonna get Joel. Yo, man, we're gonna get Dame. Yo, man, we're gonna get Pascal. Yo, man, we're gonna get all these players." And I'm like, "What are you getting them for? Like, who are you trading, Lonnie Walker?" <laughs> And it's like, yeah, man, bro, they're going to get out of their contracts. They're going to come to the Lakers. Yeah, man, they're going to make it happen. Granted, they did make it happen with the D-Low trade, and they managed to get become better. Yeah. But, like, like, damn, man. It, dude, the amount of times where I heard, like, literally, that, oh, Dame's coming to the Lakers. Kyrie's coming to the Lakers. If they actually come to the Lakers next offseason, I might have to switch my answer. But, dude, man, the amount of times you, you know, I, you know what I, You know how I thought of it? I looked at the old heads. The old head Knicks fans, yeah. for the most part, they're all cool as fuck. You know, they, they enjoy the teams that they've been able to watch. You know, yeah. they, they enjoy watching the new guys come in. Versus if you're a Lakers fan, especially if, like, you weren't there for any of the good times, you feel like, oh, man, we're, we're invincible. 18 championships, but I can't name the, fir- can't, can't name oh, the yeah, first that, few guys. That pisses me off, too, because... There is a buddy of mine who is a Lakers fan, and he goes, oh, well, you know, the Lakers have more championships than the Raptors. And I go, well, you know, the Raptors have also been the pinnacle of winning for, like, the last decade. The Lakers, like, uh, they won the same amount of championships in the last eight years. Prior to three years ago, we're ass. Yeah, 
yeah, so like, what are we talking about here? And they go, well, yeah, you know, we got we got this many championships. I'm like, dude, you guys have like, you guys have what six championships in the 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 era of color television? I mean, that's a joke, obviously, but it's like, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of these championships go way back. Like, that is, way there's back. so many people that claim them when like they weren't even there for Kobe or like when it was that's what I'm Yeah, that's crazy yeah. shit. Like, they weren't even there for, like, bro, come on. Like, you're talking about, man, you know, we had Shaq. And I'm like, dog, the Lakers had Shaq. You were drinking out of your bottle still. Like, people, <laughs> there are people get mad at me that when I say I'm a day one Raptors fan, they go, well, you know what? You weren't around when you saw Damon Starr get drafted. I'm like, dude, because I wasn't born yet, dumbass. Like, literally, when I could actually comprehend the game of basketball. You watch your team draft on Drea Bargnani? Dude. Literally, I watched my team draft Andrea Bargnani, and I went, you know what? This dude looks like he can play, and I followed the team for the rest of my life. Does that mean that I'm like a day one fan because I, I followed them from draft day, or the, the moment that I understood what life means, that I followed a team right off the bat? So anyways, I've had those conversations with Lakers fans. Mm. That's stupid stuff like that. I'm like, why did you follow the team? Like, what when they had Damon Steinmeier? I'm like, well, did you follow the team when they had freaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? <laughs> like, follow when they had bro. George Mikan? Did you even know they weren't <laughs> even in LA before? Bro, that's the craziest part, man. Like, I don't know, man. Like, were you watching when Jerry West was there? Ooh. Like, come on, man. Like, what are we talking about here? Like Bob Cousy. Oh, man, Celtics. You know what? I'll throw Celtics fans in there. I know someone who's a Celtics fan. Oh, man. And oh, my God. I've never I've never literally listened to someone who overrates their team more than a Celtics fan. Like, that's some crazy stuff. This is going to clip this whole conversation, man. There are no some fans. Like, if, we, if we were, like, the tier fans, like, that would be a fun let, let, let's, let's say this real, real quick. Who's, like, the bottom of the barrel? It's like, these fans are just... Like, you know, again, people are going to be pissed at me for this. I have to throw Golden, some Golden State fans. Some Warriors I respect fans. that. Yeah. Well, some Warriors fans are pretty bottom, dog. Like, y'all, y'all are, y'all, some of y'all are booty cheeks, bro. They get, they get usurped by the hype of Steph Curry, which I understand. Steph's great, but drinking the Kool-Aid a little too much. Mm. We believe... Monte Ellis, run TMC. See, that was a fun time. Yeah. But people didn't follow them that time. People followed Steph and go, yeah, well, you know, I watched when, you know, when Andres Biedrins was on the team. Like, no, you didn't. Man, Andres Biedrins. That's a deep <laughs> cut. That's a deep ass cut. <laughs> hey, man, we've been following this game for a minute. Bro, you, 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 you know who'd be a, <laughs> you know who would kill him today? Brandon Rush. Friday oh, Rush would be cooking in the league today, man. Bro, Corey Maggette. Oh my, Corey, Corey Maggette was oh, nice, dude. Oh man, that's hilarious. But uh, yeah, Denver, Denver in six. Uh, that's that's what I'm thinking too. My girl, my mom's girlfriend, or my girlfriend's mom thought it would be Lakers in five. Thought that they'd bounce back, but you know, see what happens. Yeah. All right, let, let's let's get into the last portion of this podcast. The draft lottery. Here, here's my little tagline. You know, something about the Spurs and generational big men. And something about the Spurs and generational French players. 
you know, it felt like the writing was on the wall for Wemby to really be a spur. And I'm not going to lie. When you look at the core that team has, that team's going to be nice. You got Trey Jones leading the way. Obviously not as good as his brother, but he has the makings, I think, to be at that kind of level. Devin Vassell's a guy who took a really, really big step last year. Keldon Johnson, he's got that Olympic experience, really has that, as they say, his nickname's Mustang. He really has that kind of engine. And even, like, the young guys they drafted last year, Blake Wesley, Malachi Branham really started to pick it up at the end of the year. Zach Collins, I think, is going to be a really serviceable big man and I think really be able to help Wemby translate to uh, the the American version or, you know, the NBA game. You know, not to say Zach Collins is anywhere near the kind of talent that Wemby is, but they do have kind of similar, you know, sort of undersized centers you know, being able to use their finesse more than like their brute strength. I think that's going to be a really good thing for him. And, you know, obviously numero uno, hopefully he's there for a long, long time than he already has been. Greg Popovich. I think the Spurs are really set up for success here for sure. Yeah, I think I'll be, I think uh, Pop will literally be around forever. Oh yeah. I think because they landed Wemby, I think it's really hard to step away from coaching that. No doubt. So um, there were talks, but I, th- I think, I think that's great for the Spurs franchise, man. I mean, they've had some some tough breaks recently, the last couple of years. Obviously, the Kawhi situation wasn't great, yeah. but they managed to get back Demar, but never really had any playoff success with him there. And then you know, Demar obviously you know chooses to go to Chicago and free agency, and they rebuild. And this is their first real rebuild in 20 years, man. Like, they've, the, the amount of success that this team has had, this franchise has had, I also don't think that there's a better place that Wemby could have get, gotten drafted to. I mean, culture, uh, management, coaching, I mean, coach I, pop. Man, like, Tony Parker might be fucking living with that dude. Yeah, I mean, I think there was, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, I was watching it on a podcast that, Tony Parker had a bit of a bitter ending with San Antonio, which is why he hadn't been That's what, um, yeah, when he went to visibly present. Yeah. yeah. And and why he hasn't been visibly present with the franchise since he's retired. But, I mean, this is a great way to reintroduce him back into the franchise as, man, he's a culture setter, man. Like, Tony Parker is an icon of Spurs basketball. Like, he's around for the most successful years. I mean, they had so many championships so many championships right with the spurs so um i'm excited to see Wemby in the spurs uniform i think the spurs needed this jump and who better to jump start your rebuild than probably the greatest prospect ever since lebron james no doubt no doubt 100 crazy yeah let's get into a couple of the other parts of the draft though i mean you know a lot of the mock drafts already have charlotte taking brandon miller which i'm i'm pretty on board with but what do you think Portland's going to do? So this is the thing that I'm thinking about, too. I think Portland is going to trade it, the number three pick. I think um, <sighs> drafting Scoot would be the easiest decision, I think. Yeah. And personally, if I'm Charlotte, I would take, I would take Scoot, too. I would take you Scoot. You make LaMelo transition into more of like a combo guard, you think? I I would have them both. I why not have play play two two point guards? I mean I, I don't think there's an issue with that. I think Lamelo is also um, a guy who's who's capable of playing off the ball a little bit more. Um, 
especially with his ability to shoot the ball. He's a larger guy, he's a six seven guard, mm-hmm. right? So he's technically a two guard, could play the three if he wanted to. He's got that size. But <sighs> this is why I always say, man, you take you take talent over. I think you always draft talent, the best player available, and then you worry about fit later. Um, I think Portland will trade number three. Uh, to improve their roster on Dame, and the writing has been on the wall that this team's not giving up on Dame. Um, I think it'll... Uh, I will find it surprising if they do go a different direction to rebuild completely, because that means Dame is out. But there hasn't been any inkling that this team has wavered in their commitment to winning around Dame. So, Definitely. Um, I, think they, I think they trade pick number three. Um, I would be surprised if they're willing to to package that with Shaden Sharp, unless it's a really great player. Um, one thing I did see as a Raptors fan is something like Siakam for Sharp in the number three, um, which I think makes sense. But again, I think I think Portland trades it. I would I would draft Scoot if they have it. Um, regardless, if you have Dame and Anthony Simons, you draft the best player available and you worry about it later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I I I don't know, man. It's tough. I think I think Scoot Henderson is by far the second best player, and I don't know if they should go with Brandon Miller. Did you see all the stuff about Brandon Miller though that came out just recently? Yeah, oh, you mean like the whole the whole gun stuff? Or well, is there, I know is there the gun stuff? stuff, but it's apparently he's out of shape, and his uh, interviews privately and publicly have not been great either. Oh, um, not so. So. From what I'm reading, it feels like a guy who doesn't look committed to basketball. Now, I don't know anything. I'm not around these guys. I truthfully have not paid a whole lot of attention to the draft prospects. I've only started my research on them more recently. It's hard to do that Um, here, for sure. Yeah. And if anything, you know, I think Eamon Thompson is a better prospect. Oh, okay. And Brandon Miller. And I really like Eamon Thompson. I'm really high on him. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Brandon Miller, I think he's a headache waiting waiting to happen. Damn. And if Charlotte drafts him, that's going to be hilarious because that team can never find a break. A lot, a lot of personalities. Man, that yeah. sucks here because I really like his game and I think his size is really translatable to today's NBA. You know, yeah. maybe it's like, because, I mean, there was the whole gun thing. And maybe that just had a big thing. It was like, man, kind of fucking over this. I just want to hoop or whatever it may be. Maybe that's the case. Not to do too yeah. much like, you know, poking my nose where it doesn't go belong or anything like that. But yeah, I, I think that'll definitely play a big role. I, I think that he's just, as as much as there are those few red flags, I also just feel like he's been able to put together a piece of work when it's his first year at Alabama to the point where it's kind of like, you know, you're going to ignore all that stuff. You're, you're going to, you're going to take the chance. I think. Yeah. I think people are. And I think it'd be crazy not to take the chance on him. Yeah. Cause he just, um, he just projects to be a really like, maybe not size wise. Cause he is a little thin. Unless you said that he's out of shape, thing. Yeah. but just his ability yeah, to make I shots, think... his ability to operate on and off the ball, I think is going to be really, really translatable to the NBA for sure. 
Well, his comparison to Paul George is pretty spot on, especially with his style of play aesthetically as yeah. well. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of lot of similarities in their game, their size, like simply enough, their athleticism. I mean, even if you look at their shot release, like it's very similar. Like it's yeah, low key. Cut. Yeah. Right. Like I think the Paul George comparison is really good. I often am not a fan of comparisons, but I think this one is pretty spot on with Brandon Miller. So I mean, if you have an opportunity to draft a guy like Paul George, like you take it because that guy has been a perennial superstar in this league for the long time. Hundred um, percent. I think he'd up. just be the perfect number two to Lamelo. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, again, it's a lot of personalities on that team, and and Charlotte has struck out on the draft pretty badly over the last few years, except for Labello. James Fuck so, Knight. Hey, oh. man, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, man. Like, oh my goodness. Like, let's let's really talk about it. I mean, they drafted Bismack Biombo number five. I mean, he still had a solid career, but he never panned out to be yeah. the great player that they were expecting him to be. I mean. There's a lot of picks that they've they've really mucked up. So, and you coaches. better hope they they choose the right one. And coaches, I I oh, really yeah. don't think. Fuck, what's what's Buddy's name? Clint. Well, they let go to James Borrego. And I James Borrego. I think that was a really bad decision. I I like what James Borrego was doing. Were they replaced? What's his Agreed. name? What's his name again? Their current coach. Yeah. Oh fuck! Whatever bro's name used to coach the Magic. Yeah, he just is like an old fart from all the vibes I'm seeing from that team. And I don't I don't think yeah. it's going to be I, – I, I don't like the idea there. If you do get a guy like Brandon Miller, though, I do like the idea of like maybe maybe not – like a Steven Silas. I, I think he didn't really get a fair shake. I mean, you look at the team he thought he was going to coach versus what he got. And, and I think if you give him a chance to really play with this team – let them get their brand of basketball together, be able to let them grow together. And, you know, I, I think there's a there's a world where Charlotte, I think, becomes at least competitive. Not to say they're going to win a playoff series, not to say they're going to be a clear-cut top six seed, but being able to make some noise, you know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree 100%. <clears throat> I think, um, you know, we'll just see how it all plays out, man. Mm. I think the draft will be really interesting because I think they're about. It's a deep draft. Oh and yeah, I, I would say. Oh yeah. There's a there's about fifteen to twenty difference makers in this draft, and I think everybody in the lottery is going to get a difference maker. Um, I'm really excited to see where Scoot will fall because of the fact that Mumby's number one, and the first two teams that are drafting already have uh, high level guards. Um, you could say the same thing for Houston simply because they have Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green. And Orlando obviously has a logjam of guards. I don't think he's going to fall past number three. Scoot. But, yeah, I mean, if, again, let's say Charlotte takes Brandon Miller at number two. Portland has Scoot. Portland's going to take every call. They're going to take every phone call. Because, man, I don't know. That's going to be such an interesting time. I I, I love what I'm going to see. Uh... On the side, I hope Toronto manages to take Keontae George, or I hope one of the Thompson twins fall, preferably Amen. Mm, but I don't think Amen's going to fall past the fifth, uh, past the fifth pick. Um, Keontae George is exactly what Toronto needs, man. Like that, that dude is a scorer. That dude's an athlete. Who have been like some of your your favorite prospects that you've found so far, or at least like, yeah, since you started like man, the whole draft process? Right? I'm actually a big fan of Grady Dick, man. 
Oh, Grady Dick is uh, cold, Grady, bro. He's cold, man. He's cold. So cold. He's cold. He's cold. Like, obviously, the Thompson twins, like I mentioned, Keontae George. Um, who else have I looked into? Uh, Jalen Wilson. Um, some of these guys on this list I've yet to look up. Obviously, the first four picks, like in the Thompson twins. But yeah, Grady Dick. There's a, I think there's a lot of guys who could be like really solid role players. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot about uh, um, Nick Smith. Nick Smith, a really Ooh, good player. Nick Smith's nice. Um, so, man, this, this is gonna be a good draft. I'm really excited about it. And uh, who, how could we? Amari Bailey's gonna go to the second round, but I think he's gonna be. I think he's gonna. Be hey, I, I think there's a big thing in like, you see now there's a big thing with guys not playing in the scrimmages. Seeing yeah. him play there, we've seen guys to where they raise their stock through that, and I think, you know, Amari Bailey, he's got that. Uh, <laughs> Drake's yeah. mama factor, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Amari Bailey's gonna be yeah. so nice. Yeah, I hope. Um, I hope Toronto can get into the second round. I don't think they have a pick in the second round this year, but whatever team lands Zach Eady in the second round, I think is gonna be pleasantly surprised with that guy. Hell, man, watch. He's probably gonna be on the Canada roster, right? He's gotta, gotta be. be. Gotta be. I say it's got. I, I say it's a no no brainer that he's on that roster. But Nick Nurse is selecting the team, so who knows, man? That dude's insane. I mean, we're what? I think I saw the post. We're like a hundred days away from the World Cup. So excited for that, man! I really hope most of the Canadians can play. It's always a it's always a thing about commitment with Team Canada. But man, if we can at least get, I think Shades bought in, Jamal's bought in. Um, Wiggins is always a question mark. Archie Barrett's going to be there because his dad's like, oh, yeah. you know, a huge part of the program. So you have three main guys right there. I think you're going to get Kelly Olenek. He's, you know, I've talked to him personally, you know, and, and for an interview with Daily Hive, and I talked about commitment with him, and he said, like, I'm committed to the national team for as long as I play. So I feel like Lou Dort's definitely bought into, right? Yeah, Lou Dort. I think Dylan Brooks, um, even though he. Oh, bro, give me that Dylan Dylan Brooks redemption, man. I think I think he'll be on the roster. I think, um, you know, Corey Joseph is always there. Mm. So you're gonna have eight eight or nine NBA players on this team. But oh man, Benedict Matrin plays. Matrin plays. Oh yes, Benedict and Nikhil uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker. The way he played in the playoffs. Oh man. He's a guy that I think didn't get the love that he should have. Yeah, and he played well. He He played played really well. Really well. So, I mean, Team Canada, man, step up. Let's go, man. Represent our country. Hell yeah, man. That's the greatest way as any to end it. We appreciate y'all listening to another episode of the Blacktop Podcast. Hopefully Christian's able to join us next time. But regardless, Ruben, you got any last things to say? Back shots, back shots. Uh, uh, uh. and with that stay safe stay blessed we'll see y'all soon see y'all soon peace